Hey, good morning, church. Uh, today we're actually going to take a break from our study in the Gospel of John, because believe it or not, we are coming up on Easter. Easter Sunday is just around the corner. This Wednesday actually starts the countdown. Um, this this Wednesday marks the beginning of what mo uh, what the more liturgical churches call Lent. It's the forty days minus Sunday before Easter Sunday. And traditionally, Christians have used this time to humble themselves in order to maintain a proper reverence, uh, just while we while we meditate on the crucifixion, uh, as well as preparing the church to celebrate Easter. Uh, it, it's a time of confession and fasting and praying and charitable works, kind of kind of like cleaning your house before a party, uh, except the the party is the resurrection and the house you're cleaning is the spiritual inner man. And I've got to tell you, I'm looking forward to Easter already, partly because you'll remember last year we weren't able to celebrate Easter together, and that hurt. And we're going to be able to celebrate Easter together this year, and so I want to be prepared for that. I want our church to be spiritually prepared for that. And like I, I just mentioned, the, the church historically, traditionally, has prepared for the celebration of resurrection through these means of fasting, prayer, uh, praying, and, and giving to the poor, traditionally. Now, of course, when something like this is made, um, whenever you talk about uh, a tradition that, this, that, that is this long and this, this deep, um, and, and in some settings has been made mandatory, perhaps, you know, you can see that there would be problems. Um, you know, a ritual can become a dead ritual. Not all rituals are, but they, they have a tendency to lean that way. And it, when, when fasting, as an example, ceases to be a free will offering to the Lord, of course, it can begin to uh, smell like hypocrisy. Uh, but if there's one thing you know, good about this. I see a lot of good in this church tradition, and, and one of the things is that, you know, there's this desire to cultivate the humble expectancy that we know we need uh, when we see Easter coming. And I'm sure for many of you, uh, for most of you, you know, practicing Lent probably hasn't been part of your, uh, you know, church tradition. Protestant evangelical churches usually, you know, don't really regard this season as, as something they participate in. Uh, it is good for our church and every church to have this expectancy and this humility and this self-examination even as we look forward to celebrate resurrection, you know, the greatest day in the Christian calendar. So now we're, we're, we're talking about fasting, and that's, uh, again, I've, I've given this message before at around this time of year before, but it's been a few years, and, and I do want to uh, want our church to focus in for this next season in preparation for of Easter um, by fasting. And it, it, fasting is one of the best ways I know of to express and develop both humility and expectancy. We're talking about this because it's, um, it, it's the right time, it, it's the right season, and because uh, God is, is often calling people to himself through these means, and we don't talk about it enough. And so I want our church to embrace this practice, and I believe that he would invite more of you to begin fasting, even through this message. And so we're, we're talking about fasting. Easter's coming. Uh, we're looking forward to Good Friday. We're looking forward to Easter. Um, and, and we want to develop in these spiritual disciplines. So in the course of this sermon, I'm going to be uh, attempting to answer 
some basic questions about fasting. Four questions, actually. What is it? And by implication, what is it not? Um, are we expected to fast? Or you might phrase that, do I have to? Um, why do we fast? And then how do we fast? And so I, the, those are the questions. Before we start, let's pray. Um, Jesus, I, I just ask that through the preaching of your word, through this message, through this teaching, that your church would feel a desire, a hunger even, to fast. Um, I, I pray, Lord, that our prayers would be strengthened through this discipline. Um, I pray that you would gently invite your people to come into this deeper place with you, this intimacy with you, um, and that you would show us the, the joy in this. Let me speak clearly. Uh, let me, me let me communicate effectively and bless your church through these means in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so four questions, right? You remember the first one? It's what is fasting? Um, fasting is the voluntary abstaining from food for a certain time with the purpose of giving oneself to prayer. Should I repeat that? I probably should, but it's going to be faster this time. Fasting is the voluntary abstaining from food for a certain time with the purpose of giving oneself to prayer. Now, there are, of course, other definitions you can find. That's not the only one. You know, the, the medical field is, is finally catching up to, uh, <laughs> to our biblical worldview. The medical field is finding out now just how healthy fasting is and all the benefits, how it can make you live longer and stuff. And, and that's all really interesting, but not the primary purpose of fasting for the Christian. In the scriptures, fasting is always done with the spiritual good in mind and always done in conjunction with prayer. Fasting and prayer, prayer and fasting, they're a team. Okay, now I said that it is the abstaining from food. And at this point, many of you will say, well, can't, you know, I, I fast, I just fast from other things. Or can't you fast from, you know, other habits, perhaps? I've heard people, of people fasting from Facebook, social media, TV, stuff like that. Is that a fast? No, it's not. But it sort of is. Um, I'll explain. Fasting in the scripture is always connected with food. That does not mean that the attitude of self-sacrifice, humbling oneself, putting aside good things in order to seek the Lord, it, those are great. Okay, All of those are good things. Those aren't bad things. It's just that those aren't fasting. Now, we use the word fasting because it's the best one we have for self-denial. We don't have uh, a robust vocabulary for doing without. That probably says something about the human race, that we don't have a lot of words for that. So we call it fasting. We say, well, I'm going to take a break from X, Y, or Z. And then you say, I'm fasting from these things. Uh, it's the way we use words, and that's just where we are as, as a culture, but it's not literally accurate. Uh, it's just like if you talk about tithing, um, and someone says, well, I tithe 5% when I can, or I tithe 15% every month. No, you don't. Neither of you are tithing. A tithe means 10%. That's just what the word means. That doesn't mean it's bad to give more, to give in another way. It's not bad. It just means that tithing already has a definition, and you don't get to give it a new one. 
Uh, we don't get to redefine words on a whim. Fasting, in biblical terms, fasting is going without food for a certain amount of time in order to dedicate oneself to prayer. You've, you've heard, I'm sure, of a Daniel fast, which is kind of like a vegetarian cleanse or something. That's fine. It's a diet, but it's not a fast. Uh, a juice fast might be great, but it's not a fast. It's a diet, and that doesn't make it a bad thing. It, it's just not at all what we're talking about when we mention fasting. Now, for someone desiring to fast, perhaps this belongs at the end of the sermon when I tell you how to fast, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it here. Uh, for someone who is desiring to fast for the purpose of seeking the Lord, but for medical reasons, cannot go without meals. Um, some medicines have to be taken on taken with food. They can't be taken on an empty stomach. Blood sugar can be an issue for, you know, for some people. Well, then, then obviously don't fast. Um, and I know that God in his grace will provide you with another means of denying yourself for the purpose of seeking him. God in his grace can meet you in this other kind of going without. And I, I do believe that God does call us. I think he'll call each one of you at some point, many times probably within your Christian life, to temporarily put aside good things, good things that you like, so that you can put all of your focus on the best thing. Okay, that, and that is what fasting is about. Now, doing without music, doing without TV, that, that's not literally fasting, but those are good things that God may call you to do. But, and, and fasting shares the heart with this other kind of self-denial. Um, fasting is about putting aside a good thing, feasting, food, all the best things. It's about putting aside the good things so that we can put all of our focus on the one and only true best thing, God himself. Okay, we've got a basic definition. Fasting is going without food. But again, Christian fasting is not the same as a fast done for medical reasons or for weight loss. It is done in conjunction with prayer. Andrew Murray, uh, who wrote a lot of books on prayer, uh, a lot of words on prayer, he said, prayer needs fasting for its full growth. Prayer is the one hand with which we grasp the invisible. Fasting is the other hand, the one with which we let go of the visible. I really like that. Fasting is an expression. It's a way of telling God and reminding ourselves that we desire Him, the invisible, above all else, even all the things that we can see or touch or eat. Now, we'll talk more about this question when we answer the why do we fast, but you should know, just in our defining of terms, that Christian fasting is to be done alongside of fervent prayer. They support each other. Without this connection, you're just doing a hunger strike for no reason. And you know what? Don't do that. Now, the next question I'd like to answer is this. Do I have to? Or, or the softer version, are we expected to fast? And the answer is yes. Now, even another way that we could uh, ask th this question is, that, is, should I fast? And the answer would have been the same. Yes, you should. But knowing that something is good for you, like exercise and getting enough sleep at night and drinking water, uh, you know, and knowing that something is expected of you, showing up to work, coming back home to your family when you're done with work, 
those are different things. Do you see the one thing you know is a good idea, but you might not do it. The other thing is expected of you, and you're much more likely to honor that expectation. There is more urgency with the one than with the other. And what I'd like to show you is that the scriptures indicate that Jesus expects you to seek him in fasting. He does not present fasting as something that is good for you, and if you get around to it, you will be happy. He is saying, this is something I expect you to do. You can go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to read from verse 16 through 18. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus gives the rules for the kingdom of God, the new kingdom. And he breaks all the molds and it says, you used to do things this way, but now we're going to do things this way. I'm going to show you a better way. And in Matthew 6, chapter, yeah, chapter 6, verse 16, he says this, And when you fast, he says, when, not if. When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when, not if, you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret, will reward you. Now, Jesus assumes that his disciples will fast. He is telling them how to do something. You don't usually give detailed instructions regarding something that you don't want someone to do. Now, we'll look at this passage again when we see how we're supposed to fast. But we, we even... Um, and even without the, the warnings against hypocrisy, we see that Jesus expects his disciples to fast. He, he tells them that there's a reward in them if they do it. Again, you don't offer a reward, a prize, for something that you don't want people to do. It's like, okay, kids, five bucks for the next person who breaks a dish on the floor, but don't do that, but here's five bucks. It's like, the, the, that wouldn't make any sense at all. Jesus saying there's a reward for this, and when you do it, you know, the, the, the way he's speaking shows that he expects his disciples to fast. And he tells them that when they do, not if, but when they do, there will be a great benefit for them. When it says that your Father who sees you in secret will reward you, we can see that fasting can be a good thing that God rewards and that it is good and right for us to want and seek the reward of God in fasting. Jesus would not have spoken this way if fasting was not something that he expected his disciples to do. And he would not have spoken in this way if the reward of God was not worth seeking. It is worth seeking. But again, we are expected to fast. And there are plenty more verses that lead us to this conclusion. And we'll go through a few of them. The disciples of John the Baptist... Okay, when um, the, the, he had disciples, Jesus had disciples, some of John's disciples quit and went over to be Jesus' disciples. But some of John the, John the Baptist's disciples came to Jesus and asked him um, why they didn't fast. And that, you know, the Pharisees fast, and they're pretty holy, right? The Pharisees fast, and John's disciples fast, but Jesus was going around to parties and eating all the time. He was going to feasts and having these great big dinners with all these rotten people at them like us. And in Matthew 9, 6, 9 verse 15, Matthew 9, 15, Jesus explains to the disciples of John the Baptist, he says, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away. Then they will fast. 
explains it pretty simply, right? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. There is a time for fasting, and there's a time for feasting. Makes you think of Ecclesiastes, probably. And with Jesus in their presence, it was time to feast. It was time for Zacchaeus to say, you know, to, to, to give back four times what he stole. Jesus says, I'm going to eat with you today. It's time for, for Jesus to eat with the tax collectors and the sinners and even the Pharisees. But once again, we see that Jesus knew there would be a time when the bridegroom would be taken away. This is kind of where we are in our study in John, right? Jesus explained to the disciples, I am leaving. Then, after I go, then you'll fast. And we know this to be true. The disciples fasted. They didn't fast a single time in the Gospels. They fast in the book of Acts. And they, they learn this discipline of fasting from Jesus himself. If we look back at the life of Jesus, we see at the beginning of his ministry, he fasted for 40 days in the desert. It's recorded for us in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, that during this time he rebukes Satan, the tempter, with a verse from Deuteronomy that says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. In John chapter 4, after Jesus was talking with the woman at the well, his disciples brought him food, and Jesus, instead of eating, he says, I have food to eat that you do not know about. And then he explains to them in John 4.34, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, to accomplish his work. The disciples had seen and heard about how Jesus fasted. And when Jesus says, when the bridegroom is taken away, then they will fast, they would be able to do so because they had seen this modeled for them in their teacher. We have answered the second question. Are we expected to fast? I don't see how you could give any answer other than yes, a resounding yes. Jesus expects this of us. It's a when, not an if. It's not just a nice idea left to you to decide whether or not it's right for you or if it fits into your schedule or where you are in your spiritual development. It is something that God has already put on your to-do list. This is one of the good works that God has prepared beforehand for you to walk in. Now, we've really already answered the third question, too which is why do we fast? We've given some answers at least. We fast because, well, Jesus expects it. Because he said we would. Because Jesus and the apostles did. And these are our role models. This is, this is who we want to follow. Those are fine answers, but since we've, we're given more in Scripture, I'll provide more. Jesus said that his disciples would fast when the bridegroom was taken away, uh, which indicates we fast because we have a longing for his return. We fast because we miss him. Jesus says, I am with you always, but he also says, I will come again. And he is with us in spirit, apart from us in body. We're actually going to talk about that uh, next week in John chapter 16. In 2 Corinthians 5 verse 6 says, while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. And there is a real distance there that we're, we're looking forward to see closed. <laughs> Uh, we're looking forward to heaven. The whole New Testament is full of that desire for the coming of the Lord, which cannot come without a keen awareness of his absence. 
Paul says in Romans 8.23, we ourselves groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the redemption of our bodies. Fasting assists with that inward groaning. Sometimes literally, your stomach will make noises that you haven't heard in a while. Um, but we, we do this because we are eagerly waiting for the redemption of our physical bodies. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28 says, Christ will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. We're hungering for him. And physical hunger helps with that. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 7 says, You are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're waiting for. Titus 2, 12 and 13, renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, waiting eagerly for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Maranatha was the cry of the early church. It meant, come Lord Jesus. And it's interesting to note that the last words of the Bible um, are the Lord, uh, of the Lord, last words in the Bible of Jesus, saying, um, surely I am coming soon. And then the response of the church is, Amen, come Lord Jesus. Revelation 22, verse 20. So Jesus taught his disciples to pray. How? Your kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. And he had taught them that the kingdom would come in its fullness when he himself comes again with his angels in the glory of the Father. Matthew 16, 27. So your kingdom come was virtually identical with the prayer, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. And when he tells the disciples of John, when the, when the bridegroom leaves, they will fast. They're fasting because they're putting emphasis on this prayer, come Lord Jesus, Maranatha. We are waiting. We are longing. And that's one of the reasons we fast. John Piper, he said, fasting is the physical expression of the heart hunger for the coming of Jesus. Could there be a better reason to fast? Well, there might be. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, list a total of three with the desire of the coming of the Lord being the first. So you've already got one. Second reason we fast is to show that we want Jesus more than anything else. Similar to the first reason, but while the first is that we desire Jesus to return, now I'm talking about closeness with Jesus right now. You know, he is gone and he is here. He's always with you and he's coming again. This is the with you part of that. This is probably the most common reason for fasting. It's, it's a fasting being the physical expression of what, what the psalmist knew in Psalm 42. Psalm 42, uh, verse 1 and 2 says, As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Psalm 63, verse 1 says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. And I'll just keep reading that psalm. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul be satisfied as with rich fat and as with fat and rich food. Uh, so you can see this progression. The soul desires God like the stomach desires food. The soul desires God like the parched throat desires water. But in seeking God diligently, earnestly, fervently, our soul becomes satisfied as with fat and rich food. Jesus satisfies us more than anything. And sometimes in order to learn that, we need to examine the things we usually go to for satisfaction. And food is usually one of those things. When Jesus tells the parable of the sower, 
And there are several things that choke out the seed of the word, right? In Luke chapter 8, verse 14, it says, As they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. In Mark 4.19, the same parable, it says, The desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. The pleasures of life and the desires for other things, these are not evil in themselves. These are not vices. These are gifts from God. But Job 23, verse 12 says, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. Food is a good thing. It's a great thing. But our appetite for food must bow before our appetite for God. What fasting does is it gives us mastery over our appetites. Paul said that he brought his body into submission in 1 Corinthians 9, 27. Fasting does this for us. Martin Luther said, Of fasting I say this, it is right to fast frequently in order to subdue and control the body. And we, we already noted that quote from Andrew Murray. Prayer needs fasting for its full growth. Prayer is the one hand with which we grasp the invisible. Fasting is the other hand. Uh, the one with which we let go of the visible. He went on to say this, Andrew Murray, fasting helps to express, to deepen, and to confirm the resolution that we are ready to sacrifice anything, even ourselves, to attain the kingdom of God. And Jesus, who himself fasted and sacrificed, knows to value, accept, and reward the spiritual power, the soul that is thus ready to give up everything for him and his kingdom. So we fast. We fast because Jesus is gone, but he's coming back. He's the love of our lives, and we feel his absence. Secondly, we fast because nothing else here satisfies us like Jesus satisfies us. We want to let go of everything, even good things, if holding on to them is taking up room that would be better filled by Jesus himself. We want his return soon, and we want his presence now. And lastly, third reason. Third reason we fast is because we seek the reward. We seek the power of God and we seek the reward that is waiting for us. Matthew 6.18 said, we already read this, Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. It is not wrong for us to desire that reward. What is the reward? Ultimately, it is closeness with God himself. And that may manifest itself in many ways. One of which is the answer of prayer. That's one reward. The disciples of Jesus attempt to cast a demon out in Matthew 17.21. Also recorded it in Matthew, or Mark 9, verse 29. And to their surprise, they fail. And they ask Jesus, why couldn't we do it? And remember, at this time, they had already been given authority to go and preach and cast out demons. So they ask, why can't we do this now? We used to be able to do this. And Jesus answers, this kind does not come out except by prayer and fasting. This tells us two things. One, since we don't know when we'll encounter an obstacle that cannot be overcome without prayer and fasting, we should be preemptively praying and fasting so as to be prepared when that time comes. In time of peace, prepare for war. The other thing is simply that with prayer and fasting comes a spiritual power that is lacking if fasting is neglected. And as soldiers in a war, it's fine to want the good weapons. Throughout the Old Testament and, and church history, we see this kind of weaponry in use. Second Chronicles 20, verse 3, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, he proclaims a fast throughout all Judah. And as a result, their enemies attack each other. They didn't even have to lift a finger in battle. Esther 4.16, the Jews fast when they hear of Haman's plan for the Holocaust. And his plans turn back on his head. 
In the book of Ezra, chapter 8, verse 23, it says, Ezra declared a fast and prayers to be made for safety in travel. So we fasted and implored our God for this, and he listened to our entreaty. In Nehemiah, chapter 1, verse 4, uh, Nehemiah fasts for the sake of Jerusalem, and he ends up getting an all-expense-paid trip to Jerusalem with a blank check from the king to make improvements on the wall. Pretty cool. Outside of Scripture, just in the past few hundred years, we have examples um, from the period of the Great Awakenings and, and, and afterwards. And um, John Wesley writes, uh, he talks about a fast that took place in England, a national fast that took place in England in 1756. Uh, France was threatening to invade, and a national day of prayer and fasting is, uh, is called for. And Wesley says this, he says, The fast day was a glorious day, such as London has scarce seen since the Restoration. Every church in the city was more than full, and a solemn seriousness sat on every face. Surely God heareth prayer, and there will yet be a lengthening of our tranquility. Humility was turned into national rejoicing, for the threatening invasion was averted. We can look elsewhere in church history for similar examples. The Korean church, um, the church in South Korea, knows, knows how to fast. The first Protestant church was planted in Korea in 1884. 100 years later, there were 30,000 churches. That's an average of 300 new churches a year for 100 years. Pretty sure I did that math right. In one denomination alone, there's more than 20,000 people who have completed a 40-day fast. The connection between explosive church growth and fasting is not hard to see. In South Korea today is one of the, um, the most prolific missionary sending nations, churches, uh, in the world. God does answer prayer, and fasting puts us in a place where we are more likely to be asking the kinds of things that God wants to answer. Now, of course, the, the thing that we are seeking more than any other reward is God himself. The greatest reward he can give us is simply closeness with himself. Charles Spurgeon, he said, our seasons of fasting and prayer, and you can stop there, just remember, Charles Spurgeon with his church, huge church, they had seasons of fasting and prayer. Our seasons of fasting and prayer have been high days indeed. Never has heaven's gate stood wider. Never have our hearts been nearer the central glory. Luke chapter 6, verse 21 says, Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. So be hungry and be satisfied. Nothing satisfies the Christian more than Jesus himself, and we're hungry for nothing more than Jesus himself. We want that reward. We want that closeness. And that closeness often comes with seeing our prayers answered. You know, one, one facet of this reward uh, that is the same as the rewarder, is this increased desire, an increased hunger for God himself. Now, you said that fasting is an expression of spiritual hunger, but maybe you don't have a lot of spiritual hunger that you feel in need of expressing. God graciously allows that hunger to increase, even as we are satisfied in him. This develops both the, the, the good and and wholesome spiritual hunger, and it increases your satisfaction in the good things of God. We have this beautiful paradox that C.S. Lewis uh, wrote like this. He said, our best havings are wantings. Fasting itself can not only be the, one of the best ways for us to express the hunger that we have for Jesus himself, 
but it can also be an aid in producing more of that same hunger for spiritual things. We want to be able to say the words of Psalm 73, verse 25, There is nothing upon earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. We fast because we want to want God more. So we need to address the last question. How do we do it? How do we fast? I mean, I guess the simple answer would be stop eating, right? Uh, we, we know what it is. We know what it is to fast. We know it's expected of us by Jesus, our Lord. And we know that there are great reasons for fasting. There's great reward. Now, how do we do it? In what manner should we fast? Well, spiritually speaking, I would say we, we must fast obediently and humbly and cheerfully. And the scripture addresses all of these things obediently because we've seen that this is just something that we as Christians, we as a church, ought to do. It is expected of us. One pastor put it this way, you and I have no more right to omit fasting because we feel no special emotional prompting than we have a right to omit prayer, Bible reading, or assembling with God's children for lack of some special emotional prompting. Fasting is just as biblical and normal a part of a spiritual walk of obedience with God as are these others. You just do it. Just obey. John Wesley is a little more aggressive. He says, the man who never fasts is no more in the way to heaven than the man who never prays. Well, okay, tell us how you really feel, John. Um, but we should. We should fast obediently because this has been, these are the good works that have been pre prepared beforehand for you to walk in. And we should fast humbly. Psalm 35, 13 says, I humbled my soul with fasting. Fasting is a time to recognize our weakness before an all-powerful God. The opposite of humility is, of course, pride, which is how the Pharisees fasted in Jesus' day. We don't do this for the praise of man. We don't do this to twist God's arm. But we do fast in order to make our joy for God, our joy in God, exist above all other joys. And believe me, there is joy in God that is worth pursuing. We fast obediently. We fast humbly. We fast cheerfully. Jesus said, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. This is a privilege to seek God in this way, to have him be your sustainer, the one who holds your life in his hand. We need to come to a place similar to that of Habakkuk. And Habakkuk 3, 17 and 18 says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the field yields no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. There is joy there that is worth pursuing. We're finally about to the end of this topical sermon here. So now I want you to be, uh, be mindful of this. Now this is something you are called to. And I'm going to make it more clear, and I personally am going to make an appeal to you to fast with me. Now, this is one more answer to that question. How do we fast? We do it now. Start this week. Start this week. Pick a day of the week and fast on that day of the week until Easter. I used to do Mondays. Right now, I'm going to do Fridays. Uh, you're welcome to fast on Fridays with me or pick another day. But if you pick Monday, then fast tomorrow. And then the next week, fast on Monday. And the next week, fast on Monday. And do this for at least the seven weeks before Easter Sunday. Uh, I think you might be surprised that if, if you build this habit into your devotional life, you'll appreciate that it's there and you'll continue on after Easter. 
I'd like you to join with the others in our church already fasting once a week. There are people in our church that have been doing this uh, consistently for years. Fasting one day a week. Um, For some of you, this might be one meal a day for starting. You haven't done this before? Start small. Sleeping in through breakfast does not count as fasting, just so you know. For others, it will be a 24-hour fast. If you do 24 hours, I would suggest from dinner, uh, you know, dinner Sunday night to dinner Monday or something like that. 24 hours. Um, The Lord may even use this time to call you to something longer. You can fast for a week and live to tell the tale. Pray about that. See what the Lord has for you. But I want to do this with you, church, because because I, I love you and I want to seek the Lord with you and I want us to seek the Lord for this time and I want us to be prepared for Easter and I, I, want, I want to be ready to celebrate his resurrection, seeking the joy that is in him above all other joy. I, I know it says to fast in secret. It, it does say that. So you don't have to tell anyone you're doing this. There's no feedback required. But you also, you read in the book of Acts and you see the disciples fasting together. Paul and Barnabas fasting before the Lord set them apart as missionaries. You know, where they, they knew they were fasting. If, if you'd like to do this until Easter and you, want, and you want to tell me that you're doing this, I would be greatly encouraged. Uh, you don't have to, uh, but I would invite you to let me know if you're doing this with me. Now, I'm going to close with a quote from the book called A Hunger for God, which I'd highly recommend. It's probably the best book on fasting that I've read. Um, and there's not very many, as you can imagine. But as, as you hear this, try to make these things your prayer requests for these next weeks leading up to Easter. The more deeply you walk with Christ, the hungrier you get for Christ. The more homesick you get for heaven. The more you want all the fullness of God, the more you want to be done with sin, the more you want the bridegroom to come again, the more you want the church revived and purified with the beauty of Jesus, the more you want a great awakening to God's reality, the more you want to see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ penetrate the darkness of all the unreached peoples of the world, the more you want to see false worldviews yield to the force of truth the more you want to see pain relieved and tears wiped away and death destroyed, the more you long for every wrong to be made right and the justice and grace of God to fill the earth like the waters cover the sea. There is an appetite for God and it can be awakened. I invite you to say with some simple fast, this much, O God, I want you. Amen.